Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bull****. Never have truer words been spoken, nor has that particular word been spoken and broadcast to more people simultaneously (laughs) than what happened today. Now, to the president's credit, there are a couple things here. First, at the National Prayer Breakfast, no profanity, no profanity. Now, it's kind of like you you scored the game-winning touchdown. And in in this particular game, you know that it's not Bernie, uh, it's not Bernie Sanders, it's not Barry Sanders. Or it's not Bernie either, because there wouldn't be a lot of excitement there either. It's not Barry Sanders, so you're going to get a celebration. It's coming. And so during the National Prayer Breakfast, you saw it coming. And then just afternoon, uh, you, you got the full Monty. And you, you might say the president was getting the let out. But again, never have truer words been spoken, nor is that particular word more apropos. So the first thing is, look, we're not stupid. We know this had nothing to do with a whistleblower who wasn't a witness to a crime that was never committed. We know this had nothing to do with a crappy Ukrainian, I'm sorry, perfect Ukrainian phone call last July. We know this had everything to do with, holy crap, what do we do now? The insurance policy, right? So you got a lot of people that have a lot of baggage and a lot to lose. And that's all part of what we're going to be working through as we take a look at what comes next throughout the course of the show this evening. But the impeachment backlash, that's already begun in a very big way. Now, uh, the great one. First thing, he is well. This is planned. And I am your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd. I host the Morning Rush WJNO in West Palm Beach. The Brian Mudd Show, WYOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. Uh, and I'm the guy. Two sides to uh, stories, one side to facts. Talk about the premise. Premise of anything is false. Anything built on it is too. You also uh, might know me as the fact man. That's uh, F-A-C-T, not to be confused with the fat man. The fat man was the last Joe Biden supporter. You remember fat? Hey, fat. Uh, the last Joe Biden supporter in Iowa. You know, the one where he challenged in front of the school kids push-ups to show how sharp his mind was? Not that guy. Fact man. Anyway. As we take a look at uh, the, the bull poo word uh, that the president uh, used as he was getting the lead out today, it's apropos in a lot of respects when you think about it. Because there are not many places, not many places that you can go across this country and actually find poo on the streets. But you know where you can? The two people responsible for this in the House. If you go to Nancy Pelosi's district, you can find poo on the streets. If you go to Adam Schiff's district, oh, yeah, you can find Boone's. It's pretty hard to do it. Those two manage. Special. 
really in, in, in the the Schiff show. So many fascinating aspects to his stories. The president was getting the let out today. He was talking about Adam Schiff and how he was a failed screenwriter. And when you think about it, it really is pretty special when you have somebody who ultimately was a crappy attorney and uh, was a failed screenwriter. It's like the most L.A. thing ever to actually fail your way into Congress. So they go, oh, yeah, why don't you represent us in Congress? Thanks, guys. That's worked out real well. And Nancy Pelosi. Oh, my. Oh, we got a lot on Nancy. You know what? The ripping up of the script is the most apropos thing ever. Because, holy crap. Man, word keeps coming up. I mean, stuff just hit the fan. So, as we take a look at the impeachment backlash, it, it is here in a very big way. Now, one of the things that's gained a lot of attention this week has been the Gallup poll. The Gallup poll, which is impressive in a couple respects. If you pay attention to polling, they come into three different channels. You have adult-only sampling. You have registered voters, and then you have likely voters. Now, your adult-only samples, I refer to that as the boob on the street. Because that's just walking up to anybody out there, and you see them walking on the sidewalk, and they get a microphone. Uh, what do you think uh, of uh, president? And they try to sound some, say something really uh, intelligent-sounding for the night uh, shows, and, and they end up going, yeah, uh, Trump, orange, right, bad. Those people. The adult-only samples include the boobs on the street. So that is really hard for someone who requires thought, requires understanding of policy, understands a little bit about reality, that doesn't tune in to the godless souls and slanderous news media for information. It's hard to have someone like President Trump represent well with your average boob on the street. You know, the one that might be providing some of the human excrement on the streets in Adam Schiff or Nancy Pelosi's districts, for example. Pretty hard to get those people to go, yeah, you know what? Kind of like what that Trump's up to. So the Gallup survey is an adult-only sample. That includes the people that are pooping on the streets of San Francisco, potentially. So to that end, when you take a look at 49% approval rating, it is significant in the sampling. It is a record high. But that's actually just scratching the surface of what really is going on and what it represents. First thing is, you start digging in just a little bit more into that Gallup survey work. You know what the favorability rating the Republican Party is today? It's 51%. Now, the favorability rating of the Republican Party in September when Pelosi announced that impeachment inquiry. Remember when she came out and she said, yeah, so now it's official. And we were dissecting what was actually going on. Yeah. 43% favorability for the Republican Party the day that Nancy Pelosi announced that. It's 51% today. So here's the scorecard. President Trump's approval rating The change in it since the announcement of the impeachment inquiry, he's up 6%. The Republican Party's change in favorability since the announcement, up 8%. Now, how about the other end of the spectrum? So the Democrats' favorability rating at the time of the September announcement was 45%. Where are they today? Down three points at 42. Any questions? In fact, how significant is the change that we're seeing right now. The last time that more than half of the country, including the people on the streets of San Francisco, those samples, the last time that more than half the country 
viewed the Republican Party favorably was 2005. 2005! That's how big of a deal this is. Now, pop culture might make you think that a 50-year-old grandmother rubbing her crotch while sliding towards a camera during the Super Bowl, perfectly acceptable for the whole family to see. It's not. And by the way, I only reference that she's 50 years old because she should know better at that age. Now, they might make you think that you're the odd one for thinking that there are only two genders. You're not. They might make you think your belief in God is odd. It's not. You know, the, the godless souls in slanderous news media, they might make you think you're in the minority. You're not. They are. You know, this country has experienced various capitulation points. And, and they have, throughout the course of time, changed the course of our culture and our society. And when you take a look at the landscape today, the extremism of endless genders, Super Bowl air humping, street pooping, removal of God from all aspects of our society, the open embrace of socialism. Think about it for a moment, and then take a look at the context of what I was just telling you here. We might look back on this failed coup by the Democrats and realize that it was one of the most important moments in modern political history for all the right reasons, for constructive reasons. It might have taken the Democrats' corruption and their underhanded effort to ultimately try to do anything that could to take out Trump. That became the moment that the pendulum finally began to swing back. Because then, it might have taken this, all of this, for that person on the street, really didn't pay any attention to what's going on, to step in the poop and go, well, that's messed up. And for them to take a look and go, you know what? That really is kind of creepy that you have a grandmother doing all that stuff with next to no clothes on and what is supposed to be the most widely broadcast show. And you know what? It really wasn't too cool what Schiff and Pelosi did to Trump. Right? Because it takes certain things to open people's eyes. And we might have hit that point. And Trump taking all these bullets. And could anyone else have done it? You want to talk about the right person at the right place at the right time? And here's the thing. When you take a look at the pendulum, when it really begins to swing, man, can that thing swing. When you think about where the Republican Party was in the mid-70s compared to where it was in the mid-80s, Reagan winning 49 states, would you have ever guessed that? Would anybody after Nixon? But you have these capitulation points. You have pendulum swings. There are moments in time where things become more significant than they were the day before. And for the past four months, while the rest of us have known this has been going on for three years, that average person on the street has begun to wake up, to smell how disgusting the environment that they allowed to be created around them was, to realize that this whole situation was really jacked up, and to begin to realize that there probably is something good going on in this economy. And oh yeah, I do actually have more money in my wallet. And look at my uh, 401k. That's pretty great. So every Democrat responsible 
for the anti-American impeachment coup, they deserve to be relegated to the dustbin of political history. And this might be the first sign that we are on the way to seeing it happen in November. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. I've always said they're lousy politicians, but they do two things. They're vicious and mean. Vicious. These people are vicious. Adam Schiff is a vicious, horrible person. Nancy Pelosi is a horrible person. Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, horrible people, evil evildoers, you, you might say, uh, we have breaking news. So the president, while he is uh, in- engaged and laying waste to those who have tried to uh, launch the coup against him unsuccessfully, uh, at the direction of President Trump, breaking news is that uh, he had ordered a successful mission to eliminate Kasim al-Rimi, which is the founder and leader of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. That just in. This might seem somewhat random, and we've been accustomed to hearing about ISIS being the biggest Islamic terror threat for a while now. But here is why that matters. By the way, uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. This really didn't get um, much play in the news. But over the past week or so, remember that attack at uh, the Naval Air Station Pensacola where you had a Saudi Arabian pilot that ended up carrying out a terror attack? at our base, and uh, killing several members of our military, we find out, holy crap, it ties to Islamic terror. Oh, wow, they were actually referencing, and I say they because it wasn't just him. We found out that he had friends that were engaged in citing Osama bin Laden, leading up to that attack. So the latest in the investigation into that terrorist shows that he had ties to al-Qaeda going back to 2015. So this turned out to be the first time that we're aware of that al-Qaeda successfully infiltrated our military. Now, the program has since been suspended. The the program that allowed the Saudi Arabian pilots to train with our pilots. But that had been a concern for a long time, right? That they could end up getting into our ranks. So we find that out. And what happens? President Trump finds the leader potentially responsible takes care of business. Unbelievable what this man does. Speaking of the State of the Union, as he was telling us that it's never been stronger, you know, the the lowest unemployment rate in American history for all minorities. 
the lowest unemployment rate for everyone in 50 years, record high wages, record high retirement account balances, record opportunity in the workplace, even record high credit scores. So yeah, you do have two sides of stories, one side of facts. Those are all facts, and they're actually just scratching the surface of what's going on in this country right now. Now, President Trump couldn't have been more correct in his assessment of the State of the Union. Democrats couldn't be more wrong for opposing his policies, because opposing his policies, that places them at odds with us. Now, you didn't have to vote for Donald Trump to benefit from the president's policies. You don't have to like the man to appreciate the opportunity his leadership has provided. Politics, partisanship, it's a lot older than Democrats and Republicans. But once upon a time, this country mattered more to both political parties. The pettiness of Nancy Pelosi, the bitterness of her party. You know, they're the byproduct of what happens when they place their own political power, their own ambitions ahead of yours. And what we witnessed and what we've been witnessing is a vision of what's real represented by President Trump and Republicans. We also, at least this side of Mitt Romney, and we've also witnessed what's real with the desperate party awakening to the realization that their three-year effort to prevent our current reality, everything that we're seeing, everything that we're benefiting from, that effort to take out our duly elected president, that it failed. And when you think about it, you might say that it's exactly why Nancy Pelosi tore up the script. They're done. They're done. And they're desperate. And now they can't even conduct an election in Iowa. And oh boy, we're going to get into that one as well. Because there is so much more to that story. So much more to that story. Is it just a coincidence? Just a coincidence that Bernie Sanders had underhanded activities taken against him by the DNC in 2016? That they were so engaged that you even had debate questions fed to Hillary. Is it just a coincidence that those same DNC officials and Clintonites ended up laying the groundwork for the Steele dossier and the entire bogus Trump-Russia collusion narrative? Is it just a coincidence that those same people are the officials that ended up being involved in the fundraising and the paying for of this app? It was supposed to be used in Iowa. Is it just a coincidence that the Des Moines Register, for the first time ever, didn't produce their final poll? Is it all just a coincidence? Well, it would have to be, not to be something more. So we'll talk about that, too, coming up. Got a lot going on. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. 
Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. We've been going through this now for over three years. Uh, It was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. Uh, It was leakers and liars. And this should never, ever happen to another president, ever. Because, again, had nothing to do with a whistleblower who wasn't a witness to a crime that was never committed. Had nothing to do with a July phone call to the Ukrainian president. You know, in addition to being a failed screenwriter, Adam Schiff also must be a really crappy magician. Because what he was doing, hey, look over here, Ukrainian phone call. Now, I mean, if you would actually adhere to Godless, Solace, and Slender's news media, you get might go, oh, gee, yeah, Ukrainian phone call. You're making a lot of sense right now. But otherwise, you have to be plain stupid. Because, of course, we know that the impeachment effort did begin the day that he took office. We know that we had the Mueller investigation within months of him becoming president. Why? Well, ultimately, because those same actors I was just talking about before the break, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, those same actors, those people within the DNC, the people related to Team Clinton that had some cozy arrangements with people at the State Department and the intelligence community at Justice, that they were able to come up with uh, the insurance policy, as our buddy Peter Strzok had to say. And uh, part of what's going on right now, the tearing up of the script, Nancy Pelosi, that's the insurance policy. (laughs) Because Ukraine was Plan B. Remember? Plan B. So after Mueller failed, now we got to find something, boys. Got it. Ukrainian phone call. And done. The insurance policy just went boom. All right, let's go to Susan. Susan, welcome to the show. Go. Hey, Brian, it's great to hear you. And you're the fact man. I am still just burning up about um, Susan Collins, even though she acquitted, and Mitt Romney. In their big press conferences after, they kept continuing to say that Donald Trump was terrible because he was investigating Biden as his political rival. Now, that is just uh, that is brain dead. We've seen the tapes of Biden talking about the prosecutor, how he wasn't getting the billion. They weren't getting the billion dollars unless they fired the prosecutor who was investigating Burisma, where his son was. Also, can you please clear up, because uh, there was a law under President Clinton that, um, that designated that they had to investigate um, corruption uh, before giving right. funds. Okay. Uh, so, Susan, yes, you give me a lot to work with here. So I'm going to start where you started. Susan Collins. And I'll even take on the Mitt Romney thing to a certain extent. First things first, and... You're correct. I'll start there. Everything you said is correct. Now, elections have consequences. And never could that be more clear with everything we've just been through. If Democrats don't take control of the House of Representatives in 2018, 
this impeachment jam never happens. That's a fact. And what that means is, even if we had a weak-kneed Republican or 20 in the House, if that meant that Republicans control the House, it would still be better to have 20, 25 additional weak-kneed Republicans to not have Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, to not have Adam Schiff running the Intelligence Committee, just oxymoron unto itself. So in that context, pragmatism, I'm not justifying it, but let me speak to it. So Susan Collins, what I take a look at in the context of anything uh, of, of great substance, actions speak louder than words. I'm going to talk about the two most significant votes she's made lately. The pressure campaign against her with Brett Kavanaugh, that was as intense as anything any of us could ever imagine. Diane Feinstein actually backed her up against a wall. And she's scary. Intimidate me. Anyway, uh, she was rock solid. Susan Collins, to the last, stood tall when it mattered most and voted for Brett Kavanaugh. Just like the most rock solid conservative that you want to name in the United States Senate. She was there when it mattered. Susan Collins said some stuff. You're right. I don't agree with it either. But how did she end up voting? She didn't vote for the charade. She didn't vote to convict. When it mattered most, the actions ended up speaking louder than words. Now, in that sense, that puts her at odds with Mitt. Okay, so let's talk about Romney for a second. Pragmatism being a thing. He's got a lot of proving to do. He's got a lot of splaining to do as well. I, uh, I'll start here. My, I, I was thinking my way through this for a second, and the first thing is, would we trust our kids with Mitt Romney? I would. I, absolutely, no doubt. I would trust things I care about with Mitt No questions. I think he's a decent man. I think he's a good man. Um, so if I am going to accept the premise... That I, I think he's you know, a decent person. What the hell is going on, Mitt? All right, so the, the first thing that none of us can even begin to imagine is the kind of ego you have to have, necessarily. I mean, I can tell you just being a, a talk show host, a local talk show host, uh, you, know, you have to have skin that is so thick just to get through days. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, can you imagine running for president of the United States and being that close, how thick your skin would have to be? So the ego necessarily has to be huge. It's the only way that you can occupy that space. And to get so close, to get that close and not to win, how defeating that must be, especially when you've been successful your entire life. You know, something that highly successful people, uh, in, in people that have had a lot of success all throughout their lives, something they tend to find is that adversity, when it really bites you in a big way, it really stings because, yeah, you might have little things you miss and you lose here and there along the way. But if you're a winner and you're used to winning the big, the big game every time, admit, you, you take a look at his life. I mean, that's his story up to the point of where he lost in 2012. What that can do to you and your ego. So what I think has happened to Mitt Romney is I think he created his own reality based on his own ego. Yes. He's being a drama queen and getting attention. And no doubt that's part of the strategy here. But the bigger thing is, within the context, I still believe he's a good person. I think he created his own reality 
to where he's justified, according to his faith, to vote the way that he did on obstruction. He feels justified. He feels righteous. And I think it's because he never has gotten over what happened to him in 2012. Now, here's the other way that I take a look at the Romney situation. Can we do better in Utah? Hell yeah. So let's do better in Utah when we get the chance. In the meantime, is it better to have Mitt Romney there than your rank-and-file Democrat? Yeah, probably is. Did his vote end up mattering in this case? No. Remember, Susan Collins, especially on Kavanaugh, you better believe that vote mattered. Mitt Romney, it's a show vote, and he gets to you know, be the, the drama queen and get the attention. So yeah, put it in that context. Now, relative to what you're talking about, part two, uh, with the law pertaining to corruption and making sure that our tax dollars do not go, yeah, that is absolutely imperative to the federal government. Now, the argument that is used in the context of the Ukrainian aid, and I, I'm not going to go too deep in the, into this for one reason. I don't embrace a false premise. Again, when we talk about Ukraine, this is all horse crap. There was never a crime that was actually committed. <laughs> so, I, I, But just to answer to, to what you're speaking to, the, the argument here is that the pro- proper government entities uh, did say that the funds could flow to the Ukraine, that they were doing enough to uh, meet the, the federal law that says that uh, you know, we, our money would not be going to support corruption. So that's the argument on the other side. Now, if I were in a court of law and Adam Schiff was not my attorney, what I would argue is that, yeah, but they just had a change in leadership. So the recommendation went from the federal government, but with a new president, was that new president the real deal? Yeah, you said it wasn't going to be corrupt, but we got to see if this guy is just going to take our money and do uh, corrupt things with it, because that's been the modus operandi in the Ukraine. So that is one to where I report and you decide. Ultimately, the only thing that matters is the jury, and the jury said not guilty. Let's go to Chris in Huntsville. Chris, welcome to the show. Go. Hey, how you doing? All good. I, I, I want to touch on a couple of things, like the Susan Collins thing. That how do you know she's not playing the great strategy too to bring the attention to herself, you know, and put her in the limelight in front of all the cameras. What I would say to that, Chris, is I don't care as long as she votes the way she needs to vote. It's the actions speak louder than words. Again, you know, Brett Kavanaugh being on the Supreme Court matters more than, you know, Susan Collins saying some things that drive me nuts from time to time. You with us? All right. (laughs) I think think we lost Chris. We're still thinking uh, about the implications of that. Again, there's a difference in pragmatism uh, versus getting what, uh, you know, the, the, the perfect candidate in the perfect place every time. Uh, and, you know, that uh, can be a dangerous thing. Let's go to Johnny in El Paso. Johnny, hey, go. Hey, how you doing? All right, good. I, I have a quick question about the – well, not a quick question. I got a comment about the mid, the mid, the mid Romney first. Um, I know that for like a week he was asking for different witnesses and all that. Right. That didn't happen, but – so the status – it was status quo, but yet he changed his mind about conviction. So I don't understand that process. I don't know what went through his head. But my question was I watched the State of the Union in its entirely with my kids, and at the end – well, even throughout the entire process, the Democrats is just – you can just see the evilness in them, okay? But what, what Nancy Pelosi did at the end, whenever she ripped up the speech, this is where I started looking. There's a U.S. 
a USC, a United States code that says that that her piece of paper that Donald Trump gave her has to go to the National Archives. But she destroyed that. Isn't that a crime? So Matt Gates is actually pursuing that. Representative Matt Gates of Florida is pursuing pursuing that. He is going for an ethics violation against her. We're going to see where that goes. You raise a very good point. The answer would be yes. And uh, just as an aside, what happened to that? I mean, you want to talk about a really cool artifact. I would love, like, I enjoy historical artifacts, especially presidential historical artifacts. How cool would it be to get? The uh, the torn script together, piece that thing together, and put that in the frame in the living room. I'm just saying. So I want to. Who you have a staffer that walk out with that, or like a janitor actually go in there and, and just uh, yeah, just a thought. Let's go to Anne and uh, in Milford, Massachusetts. Go. Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Um, I, I'm pretty fearful that if the Democrats uh, stay in power in Congress and get the White House, I'm kind of fearful of what they will do because I think they're so overcome with their hatred for President Trump and the people who um, elected him into office that they will do anything to crush us. Um, so, that, that yeah, the resistance, and, and I, I, I guess I'm pretty fearful of that. Hear you and understand, and uh, you know, the, the good thing is we're winning. And the most important thing is that we vote in November. And even more important is that we reach anybody who's persuadable and we get them to vote as well. And don't wait. Get people engaged early. We are seeing right now the capitulation point, I think. It's something that I referenced earlier. I- again, walk back to the, the 70s, mid-70s, after Nixon. Republicans were routed on back of that entire situation, right? Nobody would have guessed that in a matter of, of 10 years, you would have a Republican president winning 49 states. No chance. Nobody. Reagan himself wouldn't have said, yeah, I'm going to get 49 and 84. But it happened because there are moments in time uh, that things really change the dynamic in this country. And the last one we had really was around that window of time. And before that, it involved the Civil Rights Act and black Americans becoming duped, which, by the way, and uh, I might have an opportunity to address this later in the show. One of the areas that I'm most closely watching from a historical standpoint is that the party of Lincoln that provided the freedom to the black adults that ended up swinging the other way during that whole era, looks like they might be coming back home to the party where it all began. So that's something to watch as well. But uh, anyway, uh, be strong. Know that you're winning. Know that the Godless Souls and Slanderous News Media is not representing anybody other than Nancy Pelosi. That's a pretty miserable place to be. Not to mention, I mean, really, I mean, poo on the shoe. And for people who think that's an exaggeration, San Francisco. San Francisco lost a major technology conference recently. Why? Poo on the shoe. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, 
that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. This is really not a news conference. It's not a speech. It's not anything. It's just we're sort of... uh, It's a celebration because we have... Something that just worked out. I mean, it worked out. We went through hell unfairly, did nothing wrong, did nothing wrong. I've done things wrong in my life, I will admit. (laughs) Not purposely, but I've done things wrong. But this is what the end result is. Yeah, we're going to spike the football. That's coming. (laughs) There's some spike in the football for sure. The president got the let out afternoon. Now, a uh, couple things. Uh, first, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Brand new, Life, Liberty, and Levin, Fox News Channel, Sunday night, 8 o'clock. Guest is Randy Barnett. Now, uh, also, talking about perception, right? Because president's talking about how there is uh, nothing. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, and, and this is, uh, you know, th- this is a, a, a celebration of sorts. Well, here's the deal. I uh, do a weekly segment, a weekly political update, where news and perceptions meet reality. And as I take a look at where the news cycle is and where reality sits right now, it is a fascinating place because heck of a week, right? I mean, the acquittal of President Trump, the brilliance of a State of the Union address, record stock market performance, China reducing more tariffs against us and saying they want to take them all off. Oh, yeah, that happened, too, over the past day. Nancy Pelosi's meltdown. Caucus chaos. I mean, choose your lane. Choose your lane. It's incredible. Incredible. Wherever you want to look. Now, President Trump's not only at a record high approval rating in the Gallup poll. He's within one point of his highest ratings across an average of every single poll that's out there right now. Including performing best with likely voters, which is where it matters most. So, over the past week. The president, averaging 45% across all adult-only samples. With likely voters, 50%. How about Chuck Schumer? You know what Chuck Schumer's approval rating is? 30%. How you doing, Chuck? Not so, not so good. Not so good. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Clement. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I start to think there has to be something uh, that clearly indicates to the American people that this is not the truth. And uh, he has shredded the truth in his speech. 
is shredding the Constitution and his conduct. I shredded his state of his mind address. (laughs) Who doesn't want more Nancy Pelosi in their lives is all I'm saying. I mean, come on now. What a vision for the future she uh, she projects. And uh, I, I talked about the symbolism last hour, the tearing up of the speech. That's the holy crap moment, the realization where it all came crashing down before her. The three-year effort, the, the coup that had been launched, every effort to protect their political interests. Holy crap, this is, this is done. The realization that, oh my gosh, he just gave a really great speech too. This isn't good. It's over. They're done. So, there are a couple things that are really important in the context of the deeper conversation. And certainly the great one, Mark Levin, has had this conversation with you. And I shall always remember, just over two years ago in this particular show, it was February 2nd of 2018, that the Nunes memo dropped. And on that evening, that particular show, ended up breaking down what I call my 30-count indictment from it, the 30 statements of fact. The initial breaking down and empirical terms that have not been disputed to this day, the illegal activity and the named actors responsible for the entire Trump-Russia collusion narrative and for everything that led to the impeachment effort from day one of the president's term, not last July with a crappy Ukrainian phone call. Again, false premise. Never had anything to do with a whistleblower who wasn't a witness to a crime that was never committed. So we're going to talk about the state of the Democrats' party and also what's coming next. Because payback is a big old B. And payback coming in the name of one John Durham. Now, I am Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Host a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. I turn around an hour later and do the Brian Mudd Show, WYOD in Miami. And uh, it is truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. One of my absolute favorite things I've ever done in radio. Uh, is to be here with you. This audience, uh, not to suck up to you, but uh, I was actually having this conversation with, uh, with the uh, person, Darian, who reps this show. Great guy, known for a long time, and he, he just so smart. He, you know, and there's so much that we can talk about in, uh, in, in this form because you get it. So in that context, I just received this note um, a bit ago. Listener said, I've never seen a more disgusting and petty and disrespectful display by the Democrats and especially by Nancy Pelosi. That'll be a black mark of the Democratic Party for a long time. It was on display for the whole nation to see what kind of a puke party this has turned into. If I were a Democrat and I saw that display, I would switch parties just because of how disrespectful they acted in front of the nation for everyone to see. There was nothing for a Democrat to be proud of. When you won't support the lowest unemployment rates, the greatest opportunities, more people off welfare, food stamps, other government assistance programs than ever before, There's really nothing left for your party to represent. Well said. He also said, may God bless Donald Trump. May God bless the Democratic Party, according to their works. May God bless Rush Limbaugh. Amen. Talk a little bit about that coming up next hour. But let's talk a little bit about the state of the Democrats' party. So we talked about the the Gallup story, the Gallup polling, the record high performance for President Trump, 49% in that poll, which is adult-only samples, which matters because President Trump throughout the course of his presidency has always performed better with likely voters. The easier way for me to put it is 
The more informed and engaged someone is politically, the more likely they are to approve of President Trump. The less knowledgeable one is, your average boob on the street, the more likely they are to go, Trump, orange, bad. Those people. So that President Trump is at 49% with an adult-only sample with Gallup. That is huge. It's not to be understated. That the Republican Party in that same Gallup poll has a 51% favorability rating compared to the Democrats at 42%. That's significant. That the Republican Party has the highest favorability rating since 2005. That matters. Especially when we're talking about the 2020 election cycle. So a couple things about this. I mentioned uh, last hour that I think we are beginning to witness what is one of the rare capitulation points in American political history. Happens every few decades. And it's one that will cause a reset. It causes a reset culturally and politically. And I tie together a lot of different things. Because I really do think somewhere along the way, I mean, because, look, the average person that is not highly informed but goes about their lives, you know, just trying to do the best. Because let, let's ever get real moment. This is the one thing that frustrates the crap out of me about politics more than anything else. You can find the most liberal person, the, the, the biggest leftist you know, and if they're a neighbor of yours, there's a good chance that you live your lives almost the exact same way. That's what frustrates the crap out of me. Because, you know, for the most part, what do you do? You, you get up, you go to work, try to do the best you can to get ahead, make as much money, you know, put, put your family in a good place, take care of your kids. You, you want a good education for them. And then somewhere along the way, you want to be able to relax and enjoy what you've worked so hard for, right? I mean, there really, in that sense, is more than that unites us than divides us. But then politics enters and common sense goes out the window for many leftists. Because when you don't have a moral compass that you identify with, in many cases, politics can become it. And if that becomes it and your political party becomes your ideology, then all of a sudden, if it moves over into socialist territory, hey, that's uh, let's do Bernie. Um, maybe not. The bigger issue, the bigger point here is when that person, when that neighbor who lives their life nearly the same way that you do, a few differences here and there, when they get to a point to where, they go, hold on, you know what, things really, I, I have more money. I've always said you can lie to people about policy, but you can't lie to them about what is or isn't in their pocket. Remember, my greatest frustrations. So one of the things that I do um, is financial analysis. So uh, you go back to, for example, the not-so-affordable care act. You go back to Obamacare. I ended up doing a comprehensive analysis. I actually worked with a, a couple uh, members of Congress in uh, some of the math that, that uh, could be presented to show what bunk it is uh, and it was at the time. And ended up demonstrating how it would end up costing more. Not save us money, not the uh, ability for uh, the average family to save $2,500 per year, which is what uh, Barack Obama was saying at the time. I, I illustrated in very empirical financial terms why it would cost more. But people didn't want to. No, I mean, Obama says it. Well, if he says it, then I guess the truth lies. And what happened? Well, it, it passes, and we end up seeing that, yes, over the course of eight years, the average cost of health care increased by about 90%. Well done. And by the way, just as an aside, 
the whole idea about health insurance in the first place. I mean, I'll save this for a different day, different show. The, the greatest farce in the world is that health insurance equals health care. Health insurance is the antithesis of health care for over 42 million Americans. Because, you know, the, the one thing we need above anything else in this country is consumer price transparency, which is something that the president has worked his butt off towards trying to achieve. Because the average one of us, with a high deductible plan, never even gets to the point to where the insurance kicks in during the course of the year. So it ultimately works like catastrophic here anyway. And as a result, over 42 million Americans end up paying an average of around 8500 bucks for insurance and get no health care for it. It all be a heck of a lot better off if we actually paid $8,500 for health care for ourselves. I digress. But to that point, same thing with the Trump tax cuts. When it was proposed, ended up doing complete financial analysis. And as all of the godless souls and slanderous members of news media ended up uh, talking about, oh, it's, gonna, you know, it's only for the rich and it's going to hurt you, and the, the, it ended up in very empirical terms going through and, and demonstrating bracket by bracket how much more money you would have in your pocket and ultimately what that would likely end up doing in the economy. And lo and behold, that was the case. You go back to last January when you had the partial government shutdown. Remember that? Remember how, oh my God, how are we even going to be able to leave our homes today? Because there's a partial government shutdown. If every non-essential government worker isn't uh, you know, working, uh, we, we can't go about life. And then the economy is going to collapse. And I told you what horse crap that was? Yeah. Remember China trade and how, oh my gosh, the trade war. We heard this May and, and through the summer, the trade war, it's going to be terrible. I mean, you're not going to be able to afford to, uh, to go to you know, the, to, to Walmart and buy anything anymore. Told you what horse crap that was. Inflation right now, take a look at your interest rates near historic lows. Trying to come to the trade table. My point is this. In the context of there being two sides of stories and, and one side of facts, you can lie to people about policy. You can't lie to them about what is or isn't in their wallet, what is or isn't in their retirement account. And when we take a look at the real prosperity in this country, it cannot be denied. We do have the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Get the government numbers tomorrow. We're likely. I mean, there's a chance we get an all-time nationwide low for unemployment tomorrow. Many states, like mine in Florida, are at record low unemployment rates. You know, in South Florida, in South Florida, this is Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. We have a 2.2% unemployment rate. We have the most diverse communities in the country. 2.2% unemployment rate. How is that even possible? Trump's economy. So, at some point, you have those people and they wake up. And they go, you know what? I do have more money in my pocket. And you know what? I do have a lot of money in my retirement account. And you know what? I am able to take care of my kids and send them to the schools I want to send them to. You know what? I think I'm going to be in position to be able to you know, retire and enjoy my life one day. Somewhere along the way, all of the other falsehoods don't matter as much. And somewhere along the way, I don't, you know, if I don't like Trump's tweets, maybe I care more about my family. And I realize that actions speak louder than words. And whether I happen to like the guy or not, it's working. And whether I happen to like Barack Obama or not, he lied to me. And nobody would like Nancy Pelosi anyway. So what the hell? That's the state of your Democrat Party today. 
I got a lot more on that. We'll talk about it next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. It has been unfair to the candidates, all of the candidates, and all of their supporters. You always got to want to help Bernie. You know he's, where, what he's going to say there. It's coming. All right, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. We should have like a feats of strength between him and Joe Biden. What do you say? <laughs> anyway, uh, look, uh, we're, we'll get into Iowa a little bit, but talking about the state of the Democrats party and I want to give you a little other uh, nugget some food for thought about the state of the union so uh, the state of the union if you watched it you have your ideas about it now perception versus reality uh, very interesting uh, we've talked about how the Republican party has its highest favorability rating more than half the country now viewing the Republican party favorably first time since 2005 and uh, we take a look at the State of the Union. Now, I mentioned that I've seen it brewing, this potential capitulation point, something that could be really significant, brewing in this country heading towards November. I saw it in data going back to last fall. And historically, where you have these poignant moments, they're not reflected in data overnight. Because most Americans don't fully engage politically until it's about time to vote. But you can read tea leaves and information. And I referenced this briefly last hour. Began to see something that was different in data, not just one poll or two polls or three, but consistent in data about people that were becoming open to Republicans and to the president in ways they hadn't before. And specifically, black adults. And it makes a lot of sense when you begin to think about it. Because in this economy, under this administration, who has actually benefited the most? On a relative basis, those who have the least have benefited the most. Incomes have risen the fastest on a relative basis with those who earn the least. With record low unemployment, we have record record low minority unemployment. Every minority group in this country, record low unemployment. Record high wages, record prosperity, and yes, hundreds of thousands of families that are coming off of government assistance programs. So, 
When you have people that see their lot in life genuinely getting better, not broken promises by politicians, minds can begin to change. That was the first area. Here's the next. Say the union. This is, according to the research firm, Culture Intel. 77% of independents who viewed President Trump's State of the Union viewed it positively. Only 18% thought it was negative. 77 to 18% among persuadables stay the union address. But here's something that's rather remarkable. 94% of Democrats were negative about the speech. So obviously most Democrats kind of out there in the skinny branches these days, aren't they? Getting smaller and smaller, that party. That 10 as it got bigger and bigger. Uh-huh. Starting to collapse on them. Because when greater than three-quarters of independents saw something positive... But 94% of your party doesn't? What does that tell you? It illustrates just how narrow that party has become. People devoid of reality, blinded by hatred of the the president. And as for Dancy's act, most thought it was negative. But 89% of Democrats view Nancy Pelosi's State of the Union charade as positive. Now, how miserable of a human being do you have to be to see Nancy Pelosi's act at the State of the Union and go, yeah, that was really good. I'm sorry, but if that's you, you suck at life. And you are blinded by hatred. And you need to open up your eyes. But thankfully for this country, many people are. And we are shaping up to see something that could be historic coming up in November. Talk a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah. In Iowa. <laughs> what is happening in Iowa? Brian Mutt, in for the great one, Mark Lopez. The Mark Levin Show, live and national. At 877-381-3811. I apologize. I'm trying to learn. It's not easy. It's not easy. When they impeach you for nothing, uh, then you're supposed to like them. It's not easy, folks. I do my best. (laughs) No profanity at the National Prayer Break. I thought that was doing well. He saved it all for later. Now, about the Democrats and what's going on in Iowa. So we talked about how narrow the party's becoming and how the Republican Party has viewed the most favorably it's been since 2005 and how I think there's a momentum building towards a capitulation point that has roots in a culture shift in this country with people taking a look at endless genders and going, hold on, this doesn't make a lot of sense, and that things really are better in this country uh, it, with, with this president. But here's something else uh, in terms of you know the, what, what could end up being the, the final nail in the Democrats' coffin, the latest bout with potential corruption. Now, two sides of stories and one side of facts. Here's a fact. There are 41 pledged delegates up for grabs in Iowa. It's Thursday night. This election happened Monday night. 97% of the vote still reporting. 30 of the pledged delegates have now been 
allocated. Bernie Sanders won the actual vote count in rounds one and two. Thousands more votes, I think 6,000 approximately the last I saw, than Pete Buttigieg. Yet somehow, Pete Buttigieg is actually leading with 26.2% to 26.1% for Bernie Sanders with 97% reporting. That's fun. Both have 11 pledged delegates right now. Elizabeth Warren, five. Joe Biden, two. Amy Klobuchar. She's in the game now, one. So, a couple things here. What happened in Iowa? Now, again, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's a coincidence. That the DNC and the Clinton operatives that worked to undermine Bernie Sanders in 2016, maybe it's a coincidence that they also were the ones that helped contribute to the Steele dossier and the entire corrupt Trump-Russia collusion narrative. Maybe, maybe it's a coincidence that Hillary Clinton hasn't ruled out a potential run if there is a contested convention without an outright winner. Maybe it is a coincidence that the firm acronym which is a Clinton-backed firm, was the donor, the financial donor, to create the app in Iowa. The ones that ended up providing the money, and you cannot make this stuff up. You know what the actual company was that developed the app? Shadow Inc. (laughs) (laughs) And we were told that it was the, these are Google, former Google people that are doing this. You know, seriously, if they're the Google people, they're the ones that failed the uh, the interview. But Shadow Inc., funded by Acronym, which are Clintonite donors, I mean, maybe it's just a coincidence. And maybe it was a coincidence that for the first time ever, the Des Moines Register poll, that final poll, was spiked. You know, it's a funny thing as we see what's playing out here. But somewhere along the way, more than just Bernie Sanders is going to call BS. And meanwhile, as we take a look at what's going on in that race, it's fascinating. Because the only person in polling, if you take a look nationally, who's up over the past week, is Michael Bloomberg. What does that tell you? There are a lot of things that are going on in that party right now. And it has all the makings of something, again, that can be historic for November. Let's go to Tim in Philly. Tim, go. Well, uh, hello. uh, You're doing a great job uh, substituting for our friend Mark. Appreciate him. Absolutely. Listen, uh, I've I've been saying this for uh, several years, that the Democrats are great at projecting. Uh, Whatever they accuse you of is are things that they're that they're doing themselves and that's uh, that's been emphasized and made perfectly clear uh in the last three years and especially in in the last few months uh with a charade that's been going on um but one of the things that upsets me i think the most is that like you heard pelosi say uh early on there in the show that uh you know everything he said was a lie, and how many of the other ones on on the of the talking heads and the Democrats that have spoken after the State of the Union said that everything he said was a lie, and I you know you could see them shaking their heads. 
what the, what did he what exactly did he lie about? They don't say that. <laughs> And and here you go. I mean, and, and this is a, a, an instructive point, a teachable moment. Um, it's part of what I was referencing earlier this hour. You can lie to people about policy. You know, the, the Affordable Care Act is a perfect one because you, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. The average family will save $2,500 per year. These are demonstrable things. So when that's not true, when you can't keep your doctor – when you end up having the Affordable Care Act as law. Well, now you lied to me. When it's costing me more for the same health insurance and the same health care, you lied to me. And so the same is true here. Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and whomever, they can say, oh, he just lies. And they can do it ubiquitously because that's all they've got, because they can't speak to anything that's specific. But what you can't do is lie to people about what they know to be true. You could hate Donald Trump, but guess what? The odds are you're making more money than you've ever made in your life right now. The odds are your retirement account balance is higher than it's ever been right now. The odds are you have never been better off than you are with Donald Trump as president of the United States and as a direct result of his policies. And it doesn't matter what Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff or anybody else says. Two sides to stories, one side of facts. In reality, it's, I really do think starting to set in for, for many people. Let's go to Esther in New Jersey. Esther, go. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Okay. Um, I don't trust these Democrats as far as I can throw an elephant. I think they're going to try something devious regarding the election at, in two, 2020 and um, voter fraud. It's one of the things. Have you heard of ballot harvesting? Well, it's a it's a very thing, a very real thing that actually has been legalized in California. Uh, so, yes. And, uh, they're, I mean, they're trying to do that uh, sure. all over. In fact, uh, this week in New Jersey, the governor was talking about the ballot, um, you know, sending the ballots out, mail-in ballots, and they were talking about felons um, being able to vote. So this is going to be something real that I well, believe they're going to do. But hang tight here, and, and, uh, and I hear you, and uh, you never take anything for granted, not ever. But weigh this one for a moment. You had the Obama administration that was running the 2016 election cycle. As we came to learn, you literally had the DNC and the Clinton campaign conspiring with top-level officials at the Justice Department, within intelligence, you literally had their law firm funneling money to Fusion GPS and a disgraced FBI agent to create a bogus dossier to surveil Team Trump. You literally had the wife of a Deputy Attorney General of the United States that was working with Christopher Steele on that dossier. You literally had an FBI agent who had been investigating Hillary Clinton's impropriety, saying that Donald Trump should not receive one vote and that she should win $100 million and none, and that they had to have an insurance plan. I mean, you had this entire infrastructure in place, and they controlled, at the highest levels of this country, the strengths. You literally had 
multiple FISA warrant requests signed off on by James Comey, by Andrew McCabe, by Sally Yates, by Dana, Dana Benetta, by Ron Rosenstein. I mean, this happened. And yet, Donald Trump became president of the United States. And in that same election, Republicans actually came out of it with more elected offices, top to bottom, than they had had at any time since 1928. So, is voter fraud a real thing? Yes. Does it happen? Without a doubt. John Fund uh, wrote a book about this, including what took place 4 to 2,000 right here in my backyard. And he estimates that at worst, it can be 1% of the vote. So, yeah, I mean, it can make a big difference. There are specific elections, if I were to get into the weeds, that I could highlight that have likely been swung because of it. But I can't imagine a single circumstance that could be grander in terms of the conspiracy than what happened in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and more Republicans top to bottom in this country than at any time since 1928. So for that reason, I remain a realist that errs on the side of optimism. And I also believe accountability is coming. That's a whole other thing. Talk about that here in just a few. Let's go to Scott in Maryland. Scott, go. Good evening. How you doing? All right. So uh, I, I have a question uh, about the Democratic Party and, and maybe to further what the last caller was saying about the vote harvesting. Um, I think the M.O. of the party is to harvest votes through their actions, and that's to uh, make everyone, uh, I, not to say needy, so to speak, but to sure. count on the government. And uh, Without a doubt. I, I worry about that because... Uh, but is it working? Excuse me? But is it working? I, you know, I don't think so, but I wanted your input on that, and I wanted to ask you, um, the, the, the registered Republican and Democratic numbers, do we know those? Um, I can tell you in uh, in my particular state. Now, be mindful that uh, many states do not have voter registration by party. And I have not gone through all the states that have updated information. and can tell you, um, since you ask, and a lot of people care about Florida, right? I can get that for you. Stand by for news. Let me get to my most recent notes because I actually do keep up with this stuff here for my listeners in Florida. And um, this is one of the perception versus reality games. As I sit here and I go to my notes about Florida registered voters and uh, all right, we're about to get there now. Yep. Here we go. An update. All right. Now, when we take a look at the voter registration change year over year, this is in Florida only now. There are just over 10,600 more registered Democrats than a year ago in Florida, all right? Just over 10,600 more. There are just over 42,600 additional Republicans registered in Florida year over year. So yeah, in Florida alone, Republicans have added 32,000 more voters than Democrats. And uh, just as a side note, in Florida, Democrats still hold an overall registered voter advantage, but it's the smallest in Florida's history. Florida's actually uh, kept up with this and, and had the registered voter party stuff since uh, 74. And to give you an idea, on Election Day 2016, 
Democrats held a 2.5% advantage over Republicans in registration. That's down to 1.7% right now. So, anyway, there you go. Can't give you everything nationally, but to the extent that we're a barometer in Florida, it's pretty uh, pretty telling. Uh, let's go to Mark in Maryland. Mark, go. Yeah, hey, uh, Brian, how are you? Yeah, doing well. A uh, long-time Levin listener here. First time I've ever gotten through. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's great. You're doing a great job. I'm enjoying the show tonight. And uh, I'm calling to uh, make an observation and uh, point out and compare and contrast. Uh, I think uh, Madame Speaker there the other night with her act in front of the cameras probably just uh, sealed President Trump's reelection and probably also uh, flip of the House majority back to the Republicans. But um, beyond that, um, I'm not hearing any calls from the media for her to apologize or anything like that. You might remember about, um, I think it's about eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, uh, Congressman Joe Wilson from North Carolina, when he kind of shouted off the stage, uh, you lie. Yeah. During the speech, and I think no, he was, was a racist because yeah, that was Obama, was, you know. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I think that was in reference to President Obama's claim that the ACA wouldn't be covering uh, health care for uh, illegal aliens. Uh, and I think the media outcry at that time was so severe that he had to make a public apology. And I'm not seeing that from uh, what I think is a much more egregious. Uh, Act of defiance on Pelosi's part, the other. Not lost on me either, but the one thing that's different versus 2009, the relevancy of that media. How many people are paying attention to them today compared to back then? And you're absolutely right in terms of what happened with Joe Wilson, and he happened to be right versus what happened most recently. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. I want to apologize to my family for having them have to go through a phony, rotten deal by some very evil and sick people. Sure enough. Now, something that's largely been ignored in uh, recent weeks, months, maybe based upon where you get your information in the godless souls and slanderous news media at any point. What's up with John Durham? At this point, it's almost like uh, there are a couple things I think of when I think of John Durham anymore, given how little attention he actually receives. Who is John Galt? For some, that might be as uh, difficult of a question as uh, who is John Durham. Anyway, specifically, his criminal investigation into the illegal activities that led to this entire fraudulent Trump-Russia collusion narrative. There was another development that happened within the past week, something that didn't gain attention. He just added a new criminal chief division leader, Sarah Carwan. So she was brought on board. She's been the lead prosecutor, a U.S. attorney since 2007. Most recently has been the district chief of major crimes. No coverage. So for the frustration that you might feel, when you hear President Trump, he knows things. He's aware of some of what's going on. We've talked about and we know about the extent of the corruption that's taken place. Accountability is coming. And accountability is coming 
in the form of John Durham. And it will be prosecuted in part by our Justice Department, led by one Bill Barr. That is the rest of the reason why the Democrats are so scared. A lot of them have an awful lot to lose. Stand by for news. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. So I have to tell you something today, but I wish I didn't have to tell you. And it's... It's a struggle for me because I, I had to inform my staff earlier today. I can't escape, even though telling, people are telling me it's, it's not the way to look at it. I, I can't help but feel that I'm letting everybody down with this. But the upshot is that I have been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. Yeah, it's a funny thing perspective in life because uh you know we had the impeachment trial is still going on and we had state of the union and iowa and everything else and when that hit uh you know it, it was one of those moments to where everything else didn't matter and for a few hours i sat there in shock after that announcement and uh, having some perspective on the relationship with Hannity and uh, with Rush and with the great one in Rush and turned on uh, turned on the shows and was amazed absolutely amazed at the professionalism of, uh, of both of them and of course the great one joined Hannity in the second half hour of that show and uh, th- there are a couple things we all have our moments, our stories I think for the people that mean the most to us in talk radio. For me, you know, the story was interesting uh, in, in that I found talk radio not trying to find talk radio. I, I'm from suburban Atlanta. I grew up in suburban Atlanta. And uh, I was looking for a Braves game. I thought it was a day game, and it wasn't. And uh, after school, and as a, as a kid, I found uh, this thing, and it was different. And I didn't entirely get it, but I thought it was interesting. I, th- I knew it mattered, and, and it turned out. And it's Rush Limbaugh's listening to. And it got to the point where after school, hey, I wanted to hear what this guy was saying. And for me, I always thought I wanted to do television. And uh, I ended up graduating uh, from high school and pursuing this television internship. And inside of a very short window of time, realized that, uh, holy crap. If I was successful, I would end up becoming a reporter. I would have no control over the stories that I would be assigned to. And if I were successful in that capacity, I would be promoted to sit behind a desk and read from a teleprompter that I may or may not have any editorial control over. And it was at that moment that I knew that what I had listened to going back years before was what I needed to do. I needed to go to talk radio to control my message. And in between, there were some key moments. I was fortunate uh, being in 
uh, suburban Atlanta at that point, that uh, Hannity was a local guy. And uh, getting to, you know, listen in, in kind of the golden era of talk radio. Yeah, Neil Bortz as well. Hard for me as a kid uh, during school to listen to Bortz, but I could. I would when I could. And, uh, you know, that was very much the story of what brought me here. And one of the things that's been really neat in my life, I'm Brian Mudd. I host a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami, and uh, I love being here with you. One of the things that is, is pretty remarkable about uh, The Great One and about Sean as well is uh, how real they actually are. In the grand scheme of things, I'm nobody important. I've been fortunate to carve out a uh, successful career as a local radio host in South Florida. And for no reason whatsoever, those two have given me chances over the years. And one of the neatest things early on, if you know the story of the great one, and you know the story of, of Rush, you're aware that going all the way back to the early days of Rush's show, when Mark is just handling the, the Landmark Legal Foundation after having been counsel for Reagan, he would fax. Uh, he would fax all the legal points that Rush was missing, and then the staff would end up uh, walking in those faxes to Rush. And I, uh, I didn't know Mark in those days, and I didn't know uh, Sean quite that way at, the, at that point either. But by the time that instant messenger had come around, and I first started started to see the interaction with Mark. And with Sean and with Rush, it was amazing. You know, to sit there and you knew you were on the periphery of something pretty incredible. And they would sit there and instant message each other during the shows. All caring about each other. Because they cared about this country and they care about the message. Never in it for themselves. Always in it for you. Always in it for what they believe in. And all legends... And American heroes. And it's been uh, the, the honor of my life to have been given opportunities by both of them. It's uh, you know something I can never live up to. But again, it all started with Rush. Rush's story is Hannity's story. It's Levin's story. And Mark, he's so great. I've been doing this 22 years. I've been doing it longer than he has. He's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> He is amazing. But this has been hard on them, no doubt. And as we all reflect and we think about what it means to us, there's something that's really important because a lot of people, and I broadcast from West Palm Beach. You know, Rush is, is just a few miles away. So it's very local here as well. A lot of people, what can we do? Well, there are two things you can do. You can pray. We all should do that. But you also can support this format and support this show like never before. I told Mark right after that announcement, we need you more than ever. Mark Levin is more important to this country right now than he's ever been before. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. True of all the leaders in this business, in this industry. 
And that's where you come in. The scumbags at Media Matters and those that try to censor us on the left. Those scumbags were out there immediately trying to intimidate advertisers again this week. Had agencies asking questions. I received numerous inquiries that afternoon. What about listening levels? And what about, uh, you know, advertisers with this and that? The first thing is, I believe, that whether it's Russia's audience or any of these, we're all rallying around them right now. I believe that there are probably more people listening than have been in, in a long time. Because I believe in you and I know you as an audience. But the other thing is, it's paramount that we do. There are a couple ways that they can get us. One is if we trip, trip up ourselves. And there is a monitor that constantly takes place. And if they can get anything they can run with, they do. But the bigger way is to simply try to intimidate advertisers. And they've been trying to do it. They've been trying to convince people that, yeah, the, the format's not going to be viable anymore. It is critical. It is critical that if you want to rise up for Rush, you rise up for Mark Levin. You rise up for this show. You rise up for these advertisers. The way this works is very simple. If you patronize the advertisers, then there's an opportunity. And the more successful, the more money that's made, the more forms, the more opportunities, the, the greater the, the count of the radio stations. That's what you can do right now. By supporting the advertisers, by supporting Mark Levin, and by standing up for what you believe in and convincing others maybe haven't had the opportunity to listen. Bring people into the fold. You know, there's so many really cool messages that I've uh, received. People that talking about how they're a proud conservative because of this format. Talked to a lot of people in South Florida this week on my shows that have you know, mentioned that uh, they were Democrats until they heard these shows. It makes a difference. So, you know, there are a couple of things. The first is <laughs> Rush is with us, and Rush is uh, probably going to be back tomorrow. The next thing is we have so much opportunity in front of us right now. This is a critical time in this country's history. And there are so many different ways that we can view things that can be positive, that can be constructive. I can't tell you how many times my dad, for example, I was told that uh, he, he wasn't going to be with us. We actually have had this joke. I think he's over 20 times for last rites. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he had a large cell lymphoma back in the 90s. He told that he was going to be dead. He's not. Like, miracles can happen. And there are people that have this cancer in this stage that have made it. That's one. But the other thing is to understand that all of this does make sense eventually. But we can't take for granted what is within our control. Because remember, freedom has never been free. Whether it's the battlefield to the airwaves, it's important that we never take it for granted. 
Remember, every superpower in, our, in this world's history, throughout human history, every superpower has fallen. And it's not a grim outlook. It's not a pessimistic view of things. It's just reality. Our job, collectively, and you'd better believe that Rush Limbaugh and that Mark Levin have been paramount in this, making sure that it doesn't happen on our watch. That's what we can do. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Rush, in recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I want you to think about something for a moment. Does uh, a president, Mitt Romney, do that? What about a president, John McCain? Would George W. Bush have done that? The politically incorrect thing to do. The right thing to do. It's remarkable. What an amazing moment. And what a great man the President of the United States is. Never once being afraid to say what he believes and to do what is right regardless. In talk radio, we have lived on the periphery. The godless old slanderous news media has tried to marginalize us to the extent they can. Now, Powerful. Rush. Over 20 million listeners. Great one. Over 10 million listeners. You you can't excuse and and just ignore these things. Greater audiences than any of your alphabet networks, by the way, for their newscasts. But they try. And they keep people ignorant. And they operate with mistruths. They create narratives that are false. They make sure that the average person who's never listened to talk radio has an idea that, uh, you know, a, a Rush Limbaugh is a racist, a misogynist, you name it, right? What does Donald Trump do? 
the greatest stage and with everyone to see honors that way someone who is responsible for all of us doing what we're doing right now. Donald Trump is a great man. He's not just a great president. And I know that sounds weird because you take a look at his personal failings. But think for a moment. If anybody in his life had the, uh, had the reason to come out and, and say just what a piece of work he is, wouldn't it be his ex-wives? They, how much money do you think they could get? I mean, how much attention do you think they would receive? How many uh, book deals could they get if they did tell-all books and just what a piece of work Donald Trump is? You know that would happen, right? So why not? Why doesn't it happen? Because despite his shortcomings in certain ways, despite some of his, of his failures, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a guy who goes around Mar-a-Lago, shaking the hand of the people that trimmed the trees, handing them $100 bills. He's a person that puts away his own golf clubs and is, uh, takes care of himself rather than having people wait on him hand and foot. He's the guy who tells the wait staff that they don't need to worry about him. Take care of other people. He'll be just fine. He's sure that everything that they, they had already prepared is great. That's Donald Trump. And what he did, not just for Rush Limbaugh, which was so incredibly deserved, but for standing up for what is right against what is politically correct in that forum, in that moment, was amazing. And it says so much about his character that just like those who are not informed will think that Rush Limbaugh is something that he's not. Same about Donald Trump. Those are two amazing men. God willing, we're going to have both of them for a lot longer. Now again, you want to do th- something? Two things. You pray, and you support this show. You support this format. You support these advertisers. And you tell Media Matters and all of their classless you-know-whats where they can go. You do it with your wallet. And you do it by being here. And you get out and you vote in November. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us. 
we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The Mike Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. I'm still in awe. And many of us are, too. You know, uh, Reagan, one of his uh, most famous sayings, that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. Must be fought for, protected, handed on to them to do the same. And, you know, a few have done it uh, like Rush has. And continues to be done in forums like this one. Each and every day. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And let's check in with Vicki in Houston. Vicki, go. Hey, hi, how are you? Doing well. Um, I was just calling to say that uh, I'm an uh, independent voter. I Locally, I usually vote uh, Republican for our judges and DA. And for the general election, I've always voted Democratic. But I have to say, the... Last year or so, man, I, I'm really ashamed how the, the Democratic Party has been acting and the way they have been attacking President Trump, that their, their hatred towards him, it's blinded them from seeing the good that he's doing. I even have to admit that he's doing a great job. And uh, four years ago, I would have said never Trump. And uh, this upcoming November... I, I will be voting for him for more years. Now, Vicki, um, when it comes to issues, it sounds like you're a bit of a pragmatist in the way you go about things. What is it that had you in generals generally voting for Democrats? Well, you know, um, I, I, I'm very progressive in certain views, like, you know, uh, gay rights, uh, especially for same-sex marriage, um, the environment, you know, just being more uh, conscious of what we're doing, um, but then again, I also work in oil and gas, so I don't believe the way the radical left is trying to just get rid of all that, you know. And uh, so those are some of the certain issues that I have with the Republican Party. But lately, I've just been noticing that they're, uh, how, how can I say it? they're kind of progressing themselves as well. Like, I really like Dan Crenshaw here from Texas. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, what, that's so what's been keeping me. Would it be safe to say that you're – a bit of a, if not a conservative, you're fiscally right of center and you're socially left of center. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. Um, so in that in that context, and even independent of, of Trump, is there anything from a policy standpoint that any politicians, regardless, uh, in the Republican Party, regardless of what they might articulate or, or personally believe, that ultimately will end up impacting an issue that you, you mentioned that you cared about, uh, you know, gay marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you think would be done by any of those politicians that would change the outcome? No, I don't think so, especially with the gay marriage. It's just, you know, it's the law of the land, so I don't see how that, that, that uh, they might affect it. 
And herein lies my point, and uh, that's exactly where it's going. So we had a Supreme Court ruling. Here we go. And where a lot of times, and, and this is making the appeal because obviously you, you get it, a lot of times what happens is that people will vote for ideas that they feel are represented by the party. And one of the things that most annoys me about Democrats of today, the term liberal has been bastardized. You know, classic liberalism I'm a classic liberal in that I believe, if you really boil down the Constitution to nuts and bolts, what was the purpose at the time of this founding? If you take a look at the way that our rights were were structured, we were the exact opposite of pretty much the rest of the world in that we are not granted rights by our government. We have complete rights, complete freedom, complete liberty. And the ability to pursue that happiness under it, except, and where were those rights inhibited? Generally speaking, only if we inhibit somebody else's rights. So we have absolute freedom in this country until we end up harming somebody else. And that's why we have freedom of expression with a but. And the but is if we use that freedom of expression to cause harm to others. So... In the context of of this conversation, what we don't have on the left is the freedom that we're we're talking about here. They'll latch on to an issue and say, yeah, we support gay rights, what have you. But do they really support liberty and freedom? Because what you're really talking about is freedom. If we didn't have the government in the way of marriage at all, imagine this wouldn't even be a conversation. You know, if it was simply between you and your faith. And, and you and what you believe, who cares? It's only because the, the stinking tax code ended up bastardizing marriage. You get that out of there, and, and we don't even have that, this type of conversation. And that's where the dividing lines have ended up becoming bored over the course of time. Manipulated social values. But really, what does it come down to? It comes down to a party that has chosen less freedom, less liberty. They don't stand for true liberalism. They stand for telling you how you can end up having this if you go along with X. And they will impose their will on everyone else who disagrees. That's bigotry. You know, the, the definition of bigotry is intolerance of others who hold different views. And what we see time and again is that those who proclaim to be victims of bigotry, often those on the left, are the ones that actually project the bigotry time and again. And I mention this for you and for anybody else that you might converse with uh, who might be otherwise socially on the left. But fiscally, you get it. Because all it is is a manipulative game. And ultimately, if you choose liberty, if you choose more politicians who opt for you to have more independent freedom in your life, and that comes when you have more money, and that comes when you have more choice generally, then you'll end up getting what you want in the long run, and you won't have these terms dictated to by bigots. Let's go to Matt in Logan. Matt, go. Hey, hey, Brian. Great show tonight, man. Thank you. Hey, um, I wanted to talk about Mitt Romney. Um, Big fan these days? (laughs) Uh, His speech was embarrassing. I mean, he, he gets up there. He, he uses his religion as a faith. I, I'm, I'm a member of his faith as well. I'm Mormon. Um, 
you know, pretends like he is uh, this deeply religious man, this man of conviction and, uh, and virtue. He's flip-flopped on every single issue you can think of, every social issue. He's been pro-abortion, pro-gun, or pro-anti-gun, uh, I should say. You know, name it. He's, on, he's been on every side of it. He gets up there as, as if he's some kind of uh, uh, principled leader. He, he moved from Massachusetts using his religion in Utah to defraud so, to, def, to defraud his uh, members of his faith into voting for him so he can betray them. To your we point. Are staunch, you, we are staunch you, Trump reporters out here. So, you know, if you take a look at Utah, you are the most conservative state. Why is it ultimately then that you went for Omni in the first place? You know, it's I, I hate to say this, but it's Utah is the uh, the fraud capital of the U.S. I don't know if you know that or not. And uh, the reason for that is because men or women in our religion who um, uh, who gain some kind of status within our church, a bishop, a state president, both of those things Romney was, and uh, they use those things to commit fraud against other members of the faith. Romney knows this. Romney knows this. It's, the, it's because we believe he was a, a, he's a trustworthy man, he's a good man, he can't possibly lie to us, he's always telling the truth, and he did just that. He defrauded us. You know, over 60% of uh, Utah voters were, uh, were against this impeachment. We know it's a fraud. He gets up there and pretends like there's overwhelming em- uh, evidence, like he's a Democrat. And uh, anybody watching this impeachment hearing knows otherwise. So um, Jason Chaffetz, he's in Hilton Head right now. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Appreciate it, Matt. Let's go to John in Bakersfield. John, go. Hey, Brian. Good show tonight. I really Thank appreciate you. a lot of the things you said about praying and and uh, working to uh, to uh, you know spread the word here. I think we've got an issue going on here that kind of concerns me a little bit. It's good that we're doing the victory lap and you know doing all of that right now, but I'm afraid that. We just can't get too complacent here. You know what I'm Agreed. saying? 100%. The, yeah. the, the most important thing right now, John, and uh, you just hit on it, is complacency. Now, look, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not terribly concerned about an enthusiasm type of situation. I do feel like we're going to have a lot of motivation with the, the president come November. But right now, there is an opportunity. If you take a look at you know what's happening, we're, we're having this conversation about Romney right now. Well, why did Romney win the Republican nomination to begin with? Could be a conversation starter. And uh, here we go into primary season. And so we're deciding candidates all across this country right now. So part of the not being complacent is vet your candidates. You know, I mean, obviously, if you are listening to the show, if you're highly engaged, vet the candidates. Understand who the players are. Understand who the go-tos are. Make sure that others in your community that are active understand it. Understand that primaries have very low turnout generally, and uh, so it's a minority group that often ends up deciding uh, who the candidates are going to be. So don't wait until the general election and uh, you know Donald Trump being on the ticket for people to get out there. That's one of the things that's highly, highly important right now. 
in uh, something that can be done uh, to insulate this president. I'll tell you something else that is really important. I t- always uh, macro-minded, and I like working backwards because you, you uh, can figure out how you can end up achieving a goal if you understand where you need to be. The one thing that uh, is really clear to me right now is that there is a huge, huge opportunity here for non-traditional politicians. And by the way, this is uh, starting at the local level, too. Donald Trump started something and, and became a rule breaker, and he's broken down barriers for so many other people and so many other candidates. And I'm not talking about the fakers who go out there and try to sound like Trump just because, hey, that seemed to work. I'm talking about people who genuinely do not cave to political correctness, that are willing to say what they mean and stand on rock-solid principle, do what is right. I mean, just that type of opportunity is in front of us right now. And I think that if we use this opportunity in this primary season uh, to get good candidates, then we are going to end up seeing an opportunity that could be historic. I have a lot of confidence that Republicans are going to be in position to take back the House. A lot of confidence that they will hold on to the Senate and uh, even have a chance to add. I mean, happy trails, Doug Jones. I mean, that guy. By the way, you know, he's not even – there are actually two Democrats in the Senate that vote with President Trump over half the time. No kidding. Joe Manchin, West Virginia, is one of them. About 54 percent of the time he votes with Trump. And uh, believe it or not, Kristen uh, Sinema in Arizona, she has voted just over 53 percent of the time with President Trump. Doug Jones at this point is at 37 percent. And, yeah, see ya. But the question is, who, who will be the Republican nominee in Alabama, for example? We know the only reason that Doug Jones ended up there in the first place, and it has something to do with Roy Moore. Uh, so let's be smart. That's the opportunity in front of us. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead of our great country. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. Sure enough, and later in the day, 
After the prayer breakfast, I'm going to spike the football. We're going to have a good time. And he sure enough did. Brian Muddy in for the great one, Mark Levin. Tune in uh, Sunday, brand new Life, Liberty in Levin on the Fox News Channel, 8 o'clock. And uh, the guest, Randy Barnett. Now, speaking of the president and something he can feel good about, his re-election odds. So here's the first thing. We take a look at the president's re-election odds in the state of the Democrats race. The odds are he wins. Why? Well, because most incumbent presidents win. Historically, 65% of all presidents who have run for election win. So there is an incumbency advantage. One thing I always remember in election cycles. So uh, the election always mostly about the incumbent president. In this case, mostly about Donald Trump. And as we're taking a look at his performance, uh, reflecting the highest approval ratings of his administration to date, well, it looks even better. So remember, if 65% of presidents who run free election win, that kind of becomes a baseline. So how is Donald Trump performing compared to his predecessors? If you go back in the polling age, the polling age started in the 1930s. And if you take a look at where approval ratings have been at various stages in election cycles, and then what the outcomes were for those incumbent presidents, can put it together and create a likelihood based upon where we are today. And that's what I've done. If you take a look at the president's performance among likely voters, where he's at 50% approval, well, guess what? Donald Trump, having been impeached, just going through the Senate uh, trial to be acquitted, three years of the witch hunt against him, he's performing better than the average of his predecessors. 72% chance, based upon his current approval ratings, of winning re-election. Better than most presidents. Incredible. The strength of President Donald Trump. Now, in terms of strategy, if you're the Democrats, because the president has performed best right along with likely voters, the best opportunity for them would be theoretically a candidate who can bring new people into the fold. So, take a look at that field. And uh, certainly, Joe Biden, you take a look at his performance in Iowa, he, he's possibly going to be done in the not-so-distant. Not long that uh, you can keep up uh, hanging out in fourth place. But there's something else we see this week, and I've never once seen it. I'm a student of history, and I study these things, and I have never seen, at the conclusion of the first week with actual votes being cast, the top three leaders in national polling for a political party, all losing support. Biden, off a point this week. Sanders, off two. Warren, off one. The only person who's up is Michael Bloomberg. Let me the president. He is sitting pretty, spiking the football, running up the score in the economy, and we ultimately are the winners. Always an honor and a pleasure being with you. Till next time, Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Thank you.